Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. And it's another week with you, the People of the Book, and me, Janice Leibovitz. And this week, surprise, surprise, our very own culture vulture, Roz Basarabi. What a pleasure to have you on the show. Roz, welcome. Jan, what a beautiful welcome. You've just absolutely filled my life, my heart, with such a joyful reaction because you did that with so much sincerity and ebullience. Thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure. And I'm here today, and we are here today, to chat about your brand new book, which is called The Colors of My Life, A Journey into Self-Realization. And, Roz, I have to just tell you this. My kids wanted to know when I told them that you had a book out and we were going to be chatting about your book. My kids asked me, oh, is it a book about letting everybody know where she gets all her stunning hats? (laughs) You know what? You don't know how often, Jane, that comes back at me. You have no idea. But I have incorporated in the book the fact that color influenced me in such a large way that even my hats and my outfits are all based and premised on colour. So they weren't far off. It's just that there isn't much about where I buy them from. Yeah, very much so that you weren't far off. And anybody who knows you knows that everything that you do and everything about your life is very much based in and around colour. And I just want to mention, do you know, have you ever heard of the term Synesthesia. No. What are you so, saying? No so word? I, firstly, I, I think that um, the book maybe should have been called something like something to do with colorful memories or a biography in color because that's basically what this book is. This is a book about your memories. You've picked out memories of your life and you have have based them in color. You've, you've got these little chapters and the memories of your life and you've named each chapter and then underneath each chapter you have different colors that you associate with each of these memories. So um, I just want to try and, and reduce the feedback here. Um, synesthesia is a term that is, it's about when you associate one sense with another or you use color to visualize something. Yes. That's what synesthesia is. So if you, or, or if you hear music, you associate music with a color. Are you saying that it all pertains to color? It's not just pertaining to a reflective memory. It's pertaining to color, the synesthesia. Yeah, you actually see the color, yes. That's what synesthesia is. Well, So that, that's how you could actually term what, what you see and what you associate. It's quite interesting. I'm delighted that you've actually shared that with me because, you know, I love to say that I am mad about big words. I always have been as a child. And I've never heard this one, and I'm just delighted to add it into my vocabulary, but particularly associating it with color, because 
I really and truthfully see color as the impetus of my life. It's my, it's part of my soul as is music, as is many other things. But color prevails because I find that when things are gloomy and dark, I will see the darkness. I will see the gray. I will see charcoal, cement. And when things are bright and happy, I will see yellow and cerise pink and turquoise blue. So obviously, these particular chapters that I actually delved up from my past were all those that had colored my life in the various shades, whether they were dark or light. And I must tell you that what I wanted out of this book is not just to have an autobiography of my own life. I wanted others to actually read the stories and then enjoy them. And that, after that, think about their own lives, their own chapters in their lives from the time that they can remember back to. And draw out from those chapters, if not particularly a color associated with it, but what they learned about themselves as an individual. That's why I added a journey into self-realization, because... I truly recognize in each of those chapters those aspects of my personality, my character, my psyche that have held fast to this day. That's why I could have given millions of stories. And in fact, there's so many that I, I would love to do a part two. But yeah, I was going, I was just going to say, can we expect a part two? That would be great. I absolutely am thinking of it because, you know, I often walk around and I think, Ross, why didn't you add that story? Or why didn't you, why didn't you put that in? And it really, in fact, I must tell you, something happened, Jan, with the book as a result of adding a story at the very last moment. I had signed off the actual internal approval for the publishers. And that was just before I actually got corona. It was probably a week before I'd been staying up very late at night and trying to go through what was needed for correction. I never remembered one of the stories which was about birds and the significance these birds had in my life. And it was almost like an oak omen. There was a little bit of a sinisterness to the story. And I felt it was a very necessary story to put in. So I called the publishers and said, can I submit this now, even though you're already starting? And they said, fine. They accepted, approved everything. And then when my book arrived in my keeping and I was reading it, and it only happened about three weeks after its arrival because I was suffering from corona. And the last thing I wanted to do was read my book. But when I lay on the couch one Shabbos afternoon and I read my book because it's very short and very easy to read in a very short time, I got to the last story. And lo and behold, the last word was clipped off and the outcome of the story and three paragraphs were left off. I went crazy. I was so upset. I was devastated. And I actually phoned up the publishers during the week and said to them that this is, this cannot be. It's their printers have actually not printed the last paragraph. It was so upsetting for me. Anyway, after a long back and forward phone call, uh, I would call it a relay race. They finally capitulated to redoing it. They pulled it off the actual online status because it's online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Ex Libris, and they've no longer got that on there until my new one goes on. So I have been busy now actually 
rechecking the internals, and fortunately, they are ready to go. So for those people who've purchased my book already and come across this last chapter, and I've charged them the amount of 280 rand, which is what I had created for the book to be, please, I want to return and resubmit 80 rand of that amount to you because of the error, because of this. It's not professional. I had a major deal with the publishers. I am getting the new ones in, coming in soon, but if there's people do not want to go through the trouble of that, all they need to do is I want to return 80 rand to them, or if they don't want that, I'll put it into a charity box. But more importantly, I want them to know how the story ended. So for those who are interested and want to actually do so, please contact me because I know that you are going to give out my numbers so people yes, can... Yes, I am going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to let people know how they can actually get a copy of this book. But after this break, we are going to delve a little bit more into some of these actual stories that you've shared in the book. But we're going to take a break right now. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. And I'm back with my guest, Roz Basarabi, The Culture Vulture, and we're chatting about her brand new book, The Color of My Life, A Journey into Self-Realization. And if you are interested in buying the book from Roz, you can call her directly on 082-568-6016, or you can email her on rosbass, that's R-O-Z-B-A-S-S, at gmail.com, and the book costs 200 rand. Roz, we're back, and we're going to be chatting now about some of the the memories and the stories that you've shared in the book, because the book is basically a collection of shared memories that you have um, shared and put into color and the colors that remind you of these memories. And I have to suggest that for people who, who know you and for people who know you as the culture vulture and people who see you around the community and actual all dressed up in your beautiful, colorful outfits with the matching hats. Um, <laughs> and who think that they know you and who think that they know you as a personality, I really would suggest that you buy this book because this book really shows you who Roz Basarabi is. And I have to say it's an eye-opener because I think people always think they know someone who is sort of a known personality, but then when you get to read about them, then it really, you've really exposed yourself, I mean, to use a term, a phrase, um, in, in the nicest possible way. Thank you. And, and I have to say that from the beginning, you are really openly honest about your faults and, and your failings. And from, from more or less the first, first couple of chapters. And one of the, the, the first things that you say when, when speaking about, um, your siblings is that you, you exercised your, your firstborn right and behaved like an autocrat. Completely. Completely. <laughs> and not many people would own up to that. <laughs> no, I recognize it. And you know, it's interesting, Jan. It forged such an incredible relationship with my siblings because somehow or other, you know, as you'll see in the book, there was a lot of 
altercation in my household. I grew up with a lot of the up and down roller coaster ride of the most loving, wonderful parents, but who had among between themselves a very testy relationship. And as okay, the so old- that's another thing that you're extremely open about. Yes. And I mean, I, I, rem- I remember your 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 dear mother. I mean, and and a lot of people would would have kept that under wraps. And you're quite open about about that that volatile relationship between them and the home that you grew up in. Totally, because I believe that some people, you know, people are very, very guarded. They have filters, they have restraint, and it's a good thing. But they also don't open up and be completely authentic to who they are and what their lives are about. And in some way, I see them hiding under a blanket of really being the real who they are. I put that in inverted commas. And I'm not frightened to be who I am. I don't care, because probably... If I had written this book possibly 25 years ago, I may have been more garden. I may have been a little bit more um, conscious of what, what other people thought of me. Now, I don't care. I don't care as long as I'm living my life with value and giving value to others. Then I don't care if they know me right through to the very bottom of my kishkas because I want them to know me when I've left this place. I want them to know who the real Ros Basarabi is, to know what influenced her to be who she is. And literally, I could only do that by going through the very chapters of my life that built me into who I am. And so when you say today, many people have read the book and said, Ros, I cannot believe how open and honest you are. And I said, you know, I want people to learn to be honest. I want people to learn to be authentic. And you know, Jen, I have such a deep love for those parents who were so completely imperfect, completely imperfect. And I actually remember I wanted them to get divorced. And I was so grateful that in the end that they didn't, that I had them as total units at my wedding. Because had I had that wish of their divorce fulfilled, things would have been different. But with with all their faults, with all the flaws, with all the suffering, because there was a lot of it. You know, I lived, as you will see in one of the chapters I wrote, Jenny, I wrote how I was always charged with adrenaline so that I could manage so many situations even outside of the home because I was literally on guard like a fencer. You know, that that sport of Yes, yes. Waiting for an outbreak. I was waiting for my father to bellow something out and then find my mother cowering to it because and I would then become the advocate trying to create the peace and it didn't worry me because in the end I knew how much they loved me it was so crazy you know and I've got a situation whereby I often say to people who've got very sedate backgrounds where there hasn't been volatility and everything's been ostensibly perfect and quiet and genteel and I watch them in their later lives where they actually were later lives, where I watched their functioning with their own family members, which is still sedate and beautiful, but there's no passion. And I now know that with the leftovers of my family, which is just my sister, I'm talking about the immediate close family of the past, past, not my new future family, but I know how much I love her and how much she loves me. And I know it was forged from that volatility, from that passion, from that sense of coming from a family that just let everything out, and yet the very 
top color hanging over was a kaleidoscope of unbelievable love. Is that it also forged that bond between you and your siblings because being the the, the older sibling, you protected them. Mm-hmm. And and that was where your love of storytelling came in as well because you used to take them into the room, you used to protect them, you used to tell them stories, and that forged that bond and that protective relationship over your siblings. 100%. You're very astute because in a very short reading of my book, you've picked that up. It's a strong thing. Another thing that I must share on the radio because I would, whoever is listening, should they buy the book, are going to be shocked. When they get to the chapter of me as a little girl sitting at a fated school, whereby my very best friend at the time, who sadly died at the age of 20 after childbirth, but she was my best friend, and I remember sitting there, and the story goes around the fact that there were two of the mothers that had volunteered to do makeup for the fate, and while they were doing the face of my best friend, who was a pretty attractive, exotic-looking girl, I overheard them saying how... She was just as beautiful as her mother. And the other one responded and said, not like this one, obviously referring to me at age six, who's a plain Jane and actually in Afrikaans says, Pah, my a big look. Now, I actually heard that. And from that, can you imagine how long? And I'm now speaking over the ages of 15 to 60, and I still remember it acutely as if I'm still in that chair. Do you know how that affected my life? Do you know how hearing myself being compared in a negative way to my best friend affected me on levels? I started to pursue a journey of one-upmanship. I didn't ever want to be victimized again and feel that sense of completely being less than. It actually created for me a need to be always beautiful and geared up and beautiful that people could never go back and say that to me. And do you know that even to this day, and I admitted this in the chapter as time passed on, I admit my failings, my physical failings, have often felt, oh, why am I fat? And then I'd see a picture and say, why did I think I was fat when I wasn't? Or I would see things and I think I was ugly and I didn't like the way my eyes turned down. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of many girls out there who had things happen to them in their childhood that have affected the way they see themselves now. And only by virtue of maturity, and I would say a very strong bond with Hashem, and incredibly hard worked at, enormously hard worked at, connection with God, I have started to love me in a very different way. And it doesn't matter if my eyes turn down, and if I put weight or I lose weight. I am trying to be a beautiful me inside. And whatever else happens, that story promoted a little girl who was devastated at the time, who developed a rivalry with this friend, who never wanted to be victimized and ever feel less than, all because an adult didn't think when she spoke that little children, even at the age of six, pick up what they hear and take it straight into their hearts. And it was necessary. And my daughter, who read that, was very, very uncomfortable. She said, Mommy, why have you been so open with that story? I mean, you go on into the fact that you want to take clothing on holiday that you just have to slip on and you don't have to worry about covering up any of the faults of your body. You want to not dress to cover. You want dress to reveal. 
and you're showing it off in the book. And I said, no, I'm showing everybody who will read it and myself that I know who I am completely and utterly with the faults, with the flaws, with the pimples, with everything else, because I know it's my heart that I'm working on to be beautiful. And that's an incredibly painful story to share. And it's an incredibly painful story to read, I have to tell you. And and a comment like that, as you say, to a little girl, I mean, and you were extremely young when that happened, that, that you carried it with you. That became part of your your essence. That was part of your inner essence. It became part of who you are. Exactly. I really know that. And, and funnily enough, it's interesting. I was once, when I was on teaching... My first years of teaching, and I used to catch two buses to Brixton Primary where I was teaching. And I'll never forget on the one bus, I was sitting opposite a woman. I was very into crocheting to pass the time. And there was a woman amidst the people in the bus that actually was so well-groomed. Her makeup, her hair, she wasn't particularly gorgeous, but her clothing. And standing out in this group, I looked at her and I said, okay, you know what? Doesn't matter what you look like. You are going to be beautiful outside it'll be a lot of extra work and you'll put it in and you'll do what you need to but you're not going to apologize for yourself ever so when somebody sees you in the street it's not going to be ah, excuse what i look like i'm going to be me and whatever i look like i now put the work in and i know it was promoted from a seat of a six-year-old hearing that she was ugly compared to her best friend how crazy it's crazy, and it's crazy that one throwaway comment, a thoughtless comment like that, from a person who thought that you didn't understand it. I mean, she spoke it in another language. She said it in Afrikaans. Correct. She spoke mixed, a mixture of English and Afrikaans, and of course, I picked up, I picked it up. You know, even the, the nuances of the language. Yes, it's the nuance. It's how it's said. Absolutely. So it just shows you how much influence we've had from our childhood. Yeah, we, we carry a lot with us from, from when we are young. And, and as you say, the earliest memories are, I mean, you know, when people joke and they say, I don't remember what I had for breakfast, but I remember what happened when I was 10 years old. And 100%. it's so true. 100%. And you know, Jenny, you'll see through the stories that were the positive, bright, kaleidoscopic colors, such as my journeys through the Shukmachane and my journey in the Alpha Spider going through the garden route for the first time ever, and how I relished nature, because I also remember backwards to my childhood how nature was always that that comforted me, that I utilized to fill me up. I saw God in nature. I think I must have been very pantheistic, because every single symbol that I saw that titillated me, such as a beautiful flower, trees growing, the changing of the seasons, you name it, a beautiful big expanse of water, mountains. I just saw God. It was crazy. That was where I didn't have to go far. God was right there. But it was and even in, in your memory of your family holidays, yes. when you said you, you went and a, you were happy family, you're happy family, you were playing happy families. Correct. When it was the packing of everything and the making of everything the night before and you used to wake up early, get in the car and stop halfway and have that breakfast and, you know, that that was what reminded you of playing happy families and all the tension that usually existed was gone. Completely. And your students, your understanding is right there. I'm so happy that you've actually read this book because 
it, I can see how it's affected you and it's the way I wanted to. But what about that story, which I'm sure if you have reached it, fine. If not, it's something to look forward to, is when you see me admitting that we don't realize how much we pick up from our parents in a genetic and in I a mother When I behave like my father in an argument. And oh, yes. Yes, and you got into the car in the middle of the night. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. My children, too, they actually didn't realize, I mean, they were fast asleep at home. But when they read the story, they said, but Mommy, did you really do that? I said, absolutely. I was never to do that. Did they not remember that you phoned them in the morning before they left for school? Not at all. Not at all. They were too young, I think. Possibly that was the reason why. But one thing, my son makes, you know, he does draw attention to the fact that he does remember that there was something strange about that day when I fetched him from the school. But I'll never forget, and this was such a beautiful story. You know, one of the people who bought the book actually said, when I asked her what story do you love the most, she loved that one. And she said, why? She's a family member. She's not a close, close, but she's a family member. And she said, because she remembers that... I mentioned in the story how I spent time in my hometown of Woodbank, having arrived at midnight, driving on my own. Obviously, those days were different to now. I mean, I probably would have been murdered, killed, or something on the road, a woman alone. I'm not. I had such a bravado. I didn't for a minute believe anything wrong would happen to me. And I got home, and I drove fast, Jan. You have not, I'll never forget, I thought I was a racing car driver. I mean, how I understood this, the, when I think back to how reckless and how silly and stupid I was and how the anger, the anger, the potent anger fumed inside me. Until it was that adrenaline again that you were talking about earlier. 100%. And I got there. And when I knocked on the door of the home, my parents were shocked that I was there banging on the door to get in because I hadn't a way of getting in. And instead of them literally reprimanding me, I could see that they were shocked. And they said, what's the matter? And I tried to cover up. And they said, now come and talk to me. And you could see that they were delighted that I had arrived in their home. And they couldn't do enough for me. But they made sure that I phoned home, told my husband. Well, they told my husband. I wasn't speaking to him that time. I didn't want to know about it. <laughs> Ross, there's a couple of other things that um, I'm going to pick up on in the book. But right now, we're going to take a break. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am back with my guest, Roz Basarabi, The Culture Vulture. And we've been talking about her new book, The Colors of My Life, A Journey into Self-Realization. And if you want to get your own copy of this book, then you can call Roz directly on 82 Five six eight six zero one six, or you can email her on rosbass, that's R-O-Z-B-A-S-S, at gmail.com. And the book is available for 200 rand. Roz, so we've been chatting about some of these memories that you've shared in the book. Yes. And there's still a couple more that I actually have extracted and I want to, to focus on. Yes. One in particular is the head girl story, or should oh, I say, the, the non-head girl story. Yes, yes, yes. And the pain and the anger that oh, you felt. Yes, I, and I, I'm, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm giving any spoilers away here, but the one thing in particular that you said at the end of this chapter 
is that you felt that A always evaded you and you were always destined to be a B. Now, I think that anybody who knows you cannot ever imagine you being a B. Oh, Jen, that is the kindest thing to say. It is the kindest thing, but you know, because I have my self-realization, I am so authentically aware of myself. I know that because of certain factors, I am a very good B, but I don't think I'm destined to be an A. And it's in some things that I feel that I fought my own self. I sabotage myself. When I see incredible success and the opportunity resounding and knocking on my door, I sabotage it as if somehow or other I don't believe I'm deserving. Isn't it crazy? It is crazy, absolutely. It is, but I know, and I know that there are people that do do that because I think it's a fear of success as quickly as one fears failure. And also the potential or the the decision to put the work in, to actually put the work in to attain that A. I often use the example of a violinist. I love that instrument of music. And, you know, to be a top violinist, you really have to practice. You have to give up hours and hours. Sacrifice. It is the line of least resistance you cannot take. And I am not sure I'm the kind of person that would do that dedication to one focused aspect. So what do I do? I put my energy and all my focus into living, into the enjoyment of life, not in a hedonistic pursuit, not a selfish pursuit, but literally eking out the juice from every aspect of my living. That's where my A is. As far as attainment on the tennis court and I play the game or in any other field, even as a singer, I wanted to be a singer and I really could have gone with training and all the rest. I could have gone somewhere with it. Mm -mm, Too much work and practice. So I recognized early on, Roz, if it's thwarting you from living your life to its absolute fullest because you have to sacrifice too much time, it's not going to happen. And that's when I woke up and said, no wonder you're the B. You don't have the mechanisms for the A. And you know but what? A, but as you've just said, you live life to its fullest potential. And I think you achieve an A plus, or as we say in drama, a prestige award for that. I'm telling you, I really do. Because I've learned how to look at the colors of life. I literally walk around my garden even. And I look at the new buds about to actually become something to look for when summer months come and they blossom and bloom. And the excitement I get, I think sometimes my husband thinks I'm nuts because he watches me talking to them and getting excited. (laughs) And I talk to the birds and I talk to the sky. And and as I've got older, I've become more and more affiliated. And having had corona and being so sick and having my head on the pillow and feeling that misery of nausea and that misery of really not wanting to participate in living. I was just too weak to even talk. And then seeing the convalescence and the recovery going back and literally in the timing of my book arriving, because when it did arrive, I had the corona, didn't want to see it. And then I went into it and I suddenly realized, Roz, you know, and then we had an accident, a car accident in my husband's super car. And you know what? I was spared and so was he and it could have been devastating to our personal being, our physical being. And when I saw these Kaparot that were happening, 
And I thought, you know what, Rosalind, it's all enhancing your living. The colors are getting brighter. They're no longer mild and murky. They are intensely bright. So, you know what, it's, I'm an A in living. Thank God for that. And so what? You're an A plus. You're an A plus in living. Let's, let's not, uh, let's not quibble about that. We are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to wrap up. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I'm back with my guest of our very own culture vulture, Roz Basarabi. We've been chatting about her book, The Colors of My Life, A Journey into Self-Realization. And if you want to get your very own copy of that book, you can contact Roz on her cell, 082-568-6016. Or if you prefer, you can email her on rozbass, R-O-Z-B-A-S-S, at gmail.com. And the book will cost you 200 rand. Roz, it's been amazing talking to you. I mean, as I say, I really think if people want to get to know you and get to know a side of you that they didn't know before, or if they've assumed that they knew you, they should get this book because then they will really get to know you. And they will. You know, Jan, it's an interesting thing you say that. You know, when a person puts effort into the way they appear, in other words, because we all know you cannot judge a book by its cover. Absolutely not. <laughs> and, and that is specifically to you, Janice Leibovitz, because you are dealing with books all day long. But you cannot yes. judge a book by its cover. And you know that I'm very aware that I can be very intimidating to some because I like, as you know from the stories in the book, I like to look good. I like to put all the effort I can into appearing smart and good. And that can intimidate people who don't put the same in or don't have it as a value system. They didn't have my childhood. They didn't have the experiences, and therefore it's not important. And so when they see people like that, they're intimidated. They think they're a little bit snooty, haughty, all sorts of things. I'm consciously aware of what the persona I represent to many is. And therefore, when they get to know me, they very often recognize I'm so different to who they thought I was. And one of the stories in the book, the one with the ugly man and with well, the, the, the man, the old man with the ugly nose. I mean, yes, an early. Such a lovely story. It was the truth of it. I remember it, it, you know, it made me, it was the first, I would say one of the first steps, not the first, that actually engendered in me a love of self, which of course was unfortunately damaged along the way as life happens or the challenges. But that love of self, when I recognized amongst my peers that I had a genuine love of humanity, that I cared deeply with strong empathy and couldn't bear to see people hurt. You would never catch me ever pulling up my nose or doing that kind of lotion horror that people often do without opening their mouth when they just give a funny yes. glimpse. Your face you speaks for you, yes. I would never do it as a schoolgirl. When the kids in the class, somebody would walk into the classroom, say or do something funny, and then they'd look skiff, we used to call it, skiff at each other. Yeah. You could never, ever get me embarked in, in something like that. I would not. My head would turn away. I would not allow it. And my sense of justice and fair play was developed through many of the stories that will come through the book. But in that particular case, this poor, I'll call it a layman, a galem, 
who was poor from a concession shop that he was working on, who had to find a little bit of extra food about stuffing it in his pockets. And all of us looking and the rest laughing at him, making fun of him where he could see it. And it pained me with such a depth. I could not take them trying to stop them and they didn't stop when they didn't and they just continued. Like hyenas, I actually ran out of the shoe hall Ran to, as I said in the book, the little car that yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Roz, we're going to have to wrap this up and leave it there. Okay. If, if um, you are listening and you would love to get to know Roz Basarabi a lot better, then I suggest you buy this book, The Colors of My Life, A Journey into Self-Realization. Roz, it's been an absolute pleasure and privilege to have you on my show. For you listening... Until next week, wear your masks, keep warm, keep safe, keep reading.